Hi, welcome to the Accidental Marketer podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and I'm joined by my partner and co-author of The Accidental Marketer, Tom Spitali. And we have Sean Wellham, who heads up our European operation for our consulting company, um, Impact Planning Group. Hey, uh, Tom and Sean. Hey, Mary. Hey. Hey, Mary. So um, this podcast is designed for you, accidental marketers, or you, uh, the people that work with you, and you're trying to figure out what accidental marketers are doing. So um, this is a series, and we deep dive into chapters of our book, What in a Time. Um, the fifth chapter of our book is called Who Do You Love? And the, the it's about something that we call attractiveness and using the attractiveness tool that a lot of times engineers um, just love. It, it has a system to it. So, Sean, um, can you describe a little bit about how this works and, and why it is popular with our clients? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting tool because it's the only one, if you think about it, in a whole suite of tools where we ask customers to think selfishly, to think about themselves. We, we spend all of our time saying, think about the customer, take the customer's perspective, take the customer's viewpoint. But this is the one tool where we say, just think about what you want. What is it that, that is, is attractive to you? And, and I guess the, um, the analogy I always use is, is, is it, it's akin to choosing um, a vacation destination. You know, you, you've got choices of where you might want to take your your annual leave, and 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 this tool gives you a way of, of both identifying what is critical to attractiveness, makes you think about what it is you like about something, and then has the ability to weight and and rate those against different options that you have. So it it puts you maybe for the first time for lots of people to think methodically about what it is that you're looking for and it's the it's the 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 twin to the ability to compete it's it's like you need both who do you want to go after and how are you going to compete with them and and this answers the first part of the question and and people haven't thought about it that way at least in my experience Mm, yeah tom do you have something to add to that yeah i think people love it because it makes uh decision making explicit I mean, companies make decisions all the time, and they oftentimes, um, I, I guess, defer to the loudest voice or the strongest voice in the room. This attractiveness tool is really cool because as Sean describes it, it allows you to say, all right, we're going to make a choice. Um, the choice can be what segment we're going to focus on or what market we're going to focus on or what even what initiatives as a business we're going to pursue and not pursue. And we're going to explicitly define the elements and the characteristics of a good segment, a good market, a good initiative, and we're going to put them in an order of importance, and we're going to then take our choices there, whether they be several segments, several markets, several initiatives, and we're going to rate them against each other. And what happens when people do this is, Yes, they, they argue quite a bit about what the formula should be, the weights of the formula, the rates, ratings that they give to the different criteria, the market segments and initiatives. But at the end of the day, they come always, 100% of the time, they come to a conclusion and the result is that they are able to truly align behind 
decisions around priorities of segments, markets, initiatives, or whatever they're applying it to. And that's what I think is the, the power of this. Yeah, I want to add to what you're saying, Tom, too. We Not only do we see it like with segments and markets, but um, often we see that, that the clients are even using it with um, – you know, they're trying to select an agency to work with, or they're trying to determine what the best partner might be for um, for some type of initiative that they're doing, or even just to pick a new candidate. You know, they're trying to hire somebody into their company. So it can be used at the highest level, you know, total company. What are we going to do as a company to make those decisions all the way down to some of these, you know, activities or things that are being um, made on a more daily um daily activities. I'm interested, Sean, um, you know, given that we said that there's a span of this, which functions do you find are most important to include in this as they're developing their attractiveness formulas and using the tool? When you say functions, Mary, do you mean like departmental functions? Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you, you get a different flavor from different departments. You know, you ask the finance people, what's the most attractive criteria? You know, have they got enough money to pay us and will they pay us on time becomes very important to them and almost to the exclusion of everything else. Um, you, you may have a, an HR department that wants to understand some of their internal policies or legal department will have a very strong legal focus. So it's really important to get a, a collective view and argue about the relative importance. And it's not dissimilar to when we um, talk about benefits that customers are seeking, but it's kind of our benefits, you know. So whereas with, with benefits, we take some of them. We talked about the, the, the cabbage-type benefits. You know, we talked about those that are just, just a given, but yet we seem to want to evaluate them. And it's similar to that. Yeah, of course you want people that are going to pay you that have enough money, that have a good... Um, legal frameworks in their business or health and safety or whatever it is, but they are sort of given. And it, it, it's, it's useful because we don't discount those, but it allows everyone to focus on those key variables where you can actually evaluate the difference because ultimately you're making a choice between two, three, four or more options. Um, and often if, if you have a, a, a criteria that, that, you know, if it's absent, you don't find them attractive at all. That, that doesn't help you. This is about the nuance of those of those variables that are shared amongst potential partners, but mm -hmm. are you know you, you want to make sure that they um, are, are driving the decision rather than the the bigger things. And you tend to get that with the collective view. You don't get the myopia that comes with a single department view. And that also includes marketing. They they shouldn't do this alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tom. Anything to add to that? I. I think that's the beauty of it, is what Sean just described, is that everybody should be involved. Uh, at least everybody that, um, Mary, you always say anybody that can um, mess up your plans later should be involved. <laughs> and so that's maybe how you find all the functions that um, should participate. But I, I agree. And at the, at the end of it, because everybody's been involved, everybody supports the decisions. And they know why, and they can explain it too, because when you're done with this attractiveness analysis, you can step back from it and you can look at, you know, what is driving our, um, our proclivity towards a particular segment or market or initiative or product or, what, or partner or, or job candidate. And you can see, you know, what are, the, what are the key factors behind it? And a lot of times you're surprised by it, but now you can explain it. 
Yeah, you know what's funny, um, Tom, you and I were running a session recently, and, and actually we were using this attractiveness tool for R&D. R&D was leading the, the big question of where should we be putting our resources for future growth. And unfortunately, um, they had everyone in the room. They had legal, finance, marketing. And what I thought was interesting about that is, is this tool brings out, I think, maybe sometimes the best and the worst in, in a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, there was hard discussions that came out that, you know, that um, I, I call them pocket votes. You know, it's like every once in a while, um, legal may approve something or not. And it was, you know, I think everyone understood better than why they were making decisions on an ongoing basis. Um, and then for marketing to, to have the healthy argument about why are we doing this if it's not going to get us X in the future. So it, you know, if, if, and when somebody does this, I think, you know, it's not a, it, sometimes it's not a polite meeting. It's actually one that you want to get all of the, you want to get all of the agendas on the table, and this is a constructive way to do it, and then hopefully you agree to disagree at some point. You, as Sean said, you, you agree on the weights, you fight about them, and then you have healthy discussions about how you're evaluating each of your options, but at the end of the day, it's, it, you know, it, hopefully there's a lot more clarity and alignment, but, um, but it was interesting to see even at that R&D level, if you remember that one. Mary, I want to ask you and Sean, because I know I have a certain, you know, answer to this question I'm about to ask the two of you. You said, hopefully there's alignment. Honestly, after people go through this, how many times have you seen a lack of alignment? Yeah, I think the, the, the key variable is the time it takes to get to the alignment. But because it's structured and it's process driven and everything's identified and quantified, in other words, it's got a rationality to it. And I think that ultimately leads to agreement. You know, people are looking at the component parts of, of what is often uh, an emotional or a gut feel decision. So I, I, I think you always get to a, a, at least a working level of agreement, you know, a, a vast majority, shall we say, rather than a, a sort of 50-50 split. But um, to me, it just it, it's the time that it takes. And, and sometimes if you get there too quickly, I, I, I get worried that we maybe haven't considered the uh, the debate enough because I agree with you. It, it's it's one for for bringing out some pretty active discussion. Yeah, I, and well, I think there's two, a two part process to alignment. You know, one is that you understand what each other is saying, and that's the beauty of this. But then, you know, if you don't agree, you agree to disagree, and that I think is where the alignment starts to come about. Is is you you have enough understanding about each other's position to say. You know, I don't think that's the best thing we should be pursuing, but I understand it. And given the way that we've scored this and discussed it, let's move forward. You know, so that's and then there's the alignment. But um, but, but again, it takes a couple of steps sometimes to get there. And I I find that this tool is just cool because it really does get everyone on the same page, looking at the same page and then hopefully agree, you know, <laughs> moving forward with one page as opposed to many pages. So. Um, yeah, my only my only point about it is is I personally in doing this for 20 years I've never seen anybody kind of take their their ball and go home after this <laughs> you know I mean they do a hundred percent of the time and in many they, there's alignment and agreement as Mary is both as both you're saying there's an agreement to disagree sometimes but we've had situations where people say we never we're never going to agree to this we're never going to get alignment on this. And it happens every single time. That's, I think, the power 
of taking a decision and making the components of that decision very explicit like this attractiveness tool does. And that's you know it even works on an individual level you've seen people I mean, i'm not sure if you can disagree with yourself that's probably a strange concept <laughs> but people that were that were very firm on what they liked what they found attractive in terms of maybe customer type or segment type and after going through this are prepared to change their opinions you know and that's sometimes the toughest opinion to change is one that's embedded in you you know you have a belief and to challenge anybody's belief is tough and the power of this tool is that it can change individuals' minds. And if it can do that, it can clearly change the, the collective or at least get that alignment that you talk about. Because it again, it, it takes away any any soft issues and 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 states the, the, the component parts of attractiveness and then gives you something objective to work to. So if you can do that, you know, I, I think that's why it's such a good alignment tool. Yeah, I wow, that I <laughs> oh, I haven't had an argument with myself in a while. That's a good one, Sean. <laughs> um, so Tom, uh, in the book, you you uh, have a great story about enterprise and its success. Um, can you give us a, a little bit of the highlights on that because it fits so well in this chapter and and with attractiveness? Well, I think the story of enterprise, um, in a nutshell, was that um, they showed tremendous discipline as a rental car company and sticking to a market that they could own, which was a non-obvious market. The, 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 they sort of created the market for people who needed to rent a car when, well, um, you know, when their car was broken down or, or, or wrecked or in the shop or when there was visitors from out of town. And because they were focused on that market, I mean, they built their entire, you know, set of capabilities around being close to customers rather than at airports in terms of where their facilities were. And there's a whole host of other things that went into it. But I think the bottom line is they continued to, to, to be disciplined around the fact that they didn't expand too early into the travel and vacation market like all of their competitors. Um, and we assume that, you know, they considered that those markets and probably faced a lot of um, pressure to expand to those markets uh, during their, their 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 growth years, but um, by objectively looking at their strengths, weaknesses, what they liked and didn't like in a market, they stayed very close to the knitting and dominating the 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 this market that they owned. And only very recently did they expand into the travel and and uh, and, and um, vacation and business travel market. Um, and start to have some locations at airports and, and whatnot. But um, it's a good it's a good story of of discipline, and we believe that they use some form of the attractiveness tool to continually assess this and make the right choice time and time again uh, in their early days. Yeah, I I really like the way you brought out some things people probably didn't even know about enterprise in that story. Um, Sean, so let's say you've done everything. You've gone through, you've scored it, you get your bottom line scores. Can you give us a little bit more um, of an explanation of what those scores mean and, and how, how somebody should interpret those? Yeah, I mean, we typically uh, come up with a, with a, a score. The, the, the approach that we take gives you a score between 100 and 1,000. 1,000 would be the most attractive, you know, without a question, ticks all the boxes. This is the segment or the customer market that we should be going for. And it's it's a, a graduated scale from there, and you get to a lower score. The, the key is, is relativity, and it's relative to two things. It's relative to the other 
segments or market opportunities that you're evaluating because you want to, where possible, pick the most attractive, even if it's not absolutely attractive. And then the second relative point is, which we'll talk about in future on a future podcast, is this idea of ability to compete. Because it's no good having a really attractive market if subsequent analysis shows that you really don't have what it takes to win in that market with that customer. Um, by the same token, you could find a customer where you're really well positioned to win with them, but they're just not that attractive. They're not your ideal customer. So it's always a compromise, but the key is, is relativity. Is this relatively attractive compared to the other opportunities? And is this relatively well positioned when you compare it not only to its attractiveness, but to your ability to win with those customers, which is the, the other side of the mm, coin. Yeah, I want to add to that. Um, we, I did work with a company once that um, all of their scores were relatively and absolutely low. <laughs> it was like they were in the 200s across the board and they had segmented their market. They were serving the automotive industry and they, they did components. And I think that that was the final straw for them. They realized that it wasn't no matter what they did they were in a in a hopeless market and um and so that was enough more evidence for them to go to their ceo and say we need to get out of automotive and get more into the cellular service uh cellular phones where they had cushioning and lighting and and some of the things that actually were very transferable and when they look back at attractiveness a couple of years later, it was in the 800s, you know, on a scale to 1,000. So they clearly had to pivot, and this allowed them to, to realize that together, that it was not working. Um, hey, Tom, uh, what are some things that people should uh, make sure that they don't do? You know, how, how can it be done wrong that you can make sure that you avoid those, those traps or, or mistakes? I think it goes back to something that Sean just mentioned. I think that um, bring, bringing um, uh, into your attractiveness criteria the idea of competitiveness or you know, having as part of your attractiveness formula the point that the customers love us is kind of mixing your metaphors a little bit and leads to sort of a circular uh, reference that'll just make your head blow up. We, we like them if they like us. If they like us, we like them. So I think what the, the, the biggest mistake I see is, is, is including this ability to compete or ability to win criteria in the attractiveness formula. As Sean said, in, a very, um, uh, in, a, in a, an upcoming uh, podcast, we'll talk about that piece of it, but that needs to be kept separate. Yeah, no, that makes a great point. And I think, I think that's the key, isn't it? It's having those two dimensions. That's the point I was making, that you can't judge anything by a single score whether it's attractiveness or ability to compete you know that only gives you one side mm -hmm. of the coin you've, you've got to take both into account which is why we evaluate them separately and i think the other thing tom i would add to that because we see this quite a bit is people um defining a, a, you know we find attractive markets that are profitable <laughs> to us you know and that's the big one right yeah you see that a lot yeah yeah and that just to finish that thought sean is is that we have control of half of that formula of profitability. So it's, right, um, you know, just right. you, you can do very well in a market that is a, you know, a B or a C market, but just you cut out some of the costs to serve them and then you can make that profitable. But, but your point is that's a circular argument if it's just about being profitable, right? It's more that they appreciate yeah, value. Exactly. And that's really what attractiveness is about is, is, is are you, you know, are, are they, this is a commercial um, 
approach. So what, you, what you're really saying is how commercially attractive are these people to me? You know, whether that's in our ability to serve their needs, in our ability to deliver what they want and 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 to collaborate and work and all these other criteria. But but you know, profitability is a byproduct, isn't it? And it's but it, it's counterintuitive when you say to people the profitability of your customers is not an attractionist criteria to you. And and that takes a little bit of explaining. You know, it's it's not not completely straightforward, but they just crop no, up. No, absolutely right. Uh, well, we're going to wrap this up now, and we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast, and we look forward to having you join us on future ones. And uh, anytime you have topics that you want us to address, please let us know. Uh, thank you very much.